I in three, two, one. All right, man. I'm here with Tyler Dos Santos Tam. He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for quite a few years now. Oh, man, shit, like what, since I think 2015? Yeah, maybe the, before that. With the Oahu County Democratic Committee and whatnot. But uh, I want to pass it off to you. I'm going to let you give a little uh, intro about yourself, your background, your experience. And uh, so go ahead and tell the people. Cool. Well, thanks, James. Uh, again, I'm Tyler Dos Santos Tam, uh, born and raised here in Honolulu, Hawaii. I wear many hats in the community, and maybe that's a good place to begin. Um, I'm the chair of the Democratic Party of Hawaii. I'm also the honorary consul of Portugal uh, here in Hawaii, so I'm the representative of the Portuguese government here in the islands. Uh, I'm, I'm the former chair of the Neighborhood Commission, which oversees the island's uh, 33 or so neighborhood boards. And then um, in my spare time to pay the bills, I uh, have my own business consulting practice. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, so I really like the 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 Portuguese. What, yeah. what is your title? I'm the honorary consul. The of honorary consul. How'd you stumble into that one? So um, the previous honorary consul, Dr. John Henry Felix, uh, had been oh, serving right. for 45 years. In fact, I think he's he probably is uh, or was at the time the longest serving consul uh, in any consular post in the world. And um According to the Portuguese government, you're supposed to retire at 75, and they kept him on. I mean, he was so beloved, and they kept him on until he was 90. But the uh, consul general in San Francisco said, well, we probably should go find somebody new. Um, you know, it, it was 15 years past when he was supposed to retire, but they kept him on. And so she came out to Hawaii, and their criteria was they wanted somebody who could speak Portuguese, somebody who was young and somebody who was involved in the community. So she met with a number of the community groups, all the kind of elders, the kupuna, if you will. And um, they recommended that uh, I step into this role. So I, I interviewed with her. I had a nice lunch and she said, all right, well, I feel comfortable with this. And uh, thus I was appointed in uh, early 2019. Oh, that's awesome. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, who who else would have fit that criteria, yeah. I feel? I don't know. That's a good question. I have no idea. But <laughs> my, uh, I majored in Portuguese. I was my second major in college, and so it's finally paid off. Yeah, right? interesting. Yeah, because you're the only other person I know that has any, like, knowledge of Portuguese language. Yeah. So that's like... Wow. It was like it was like it was made for you almost. That's I guess perfect. so. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's cool. And then so what is your role? Like what do you do exactly? So in this role, um, I am the representative of the Portuguese government here. So if there's ever a uh, Portuguese citizen who's gets uh, involved in some issue here, loses their passport, gets <laughs> arrested, um, gets stranded or, you know, just something happens, um, you know, I'm supposed to basically just help them and advocate for them until more help arrives. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have a large Portuguese community here in Hawaii, and there's a lot of folks here who travel um, back to Portugal. Maybe they have a distant relative who passed away and they need help with um, their inheritance, or they have a business interest there or have property, and so I help them with all of these processes. And, of course, uh, people are interested in citizenship and visas, so I help them with those uh forms and the paperwork as well oh wow see i didn't even know that i'm just learning that now yeah. i knew i knew you were involved with or you did you start the portuguese chamber of commerce so i'm or? the president of the portuguese chamber of commerce as well i should have put that in the intro yeah as well. so yet another hat um and uh, that group's been around since 1979 and um when i became the president of that group 
I, I said, you know, we should probably bring in some new energy and new blood. So half of our board members are under 35. So we're really trying to wow. like reinvigorate and re-energize that group. Um, but, you know, it, I, I, there's 44 countries that have uh, consular representation here. If you drive up Pali Highway, you probably see all the big ones, the Filipino consulate <laughs> and the Korean and Japanese one on Nuuanu. But there's a whole bunch of other countries that are represented here since we are the crossroads of the Pacific. Yeah. So where's you? Where's your the Portuguese consulate? We, we are sitting in the Portuguese consulate right now, oh, yes. uh, which is my apartment. It's beautiful. For the time being. So I'm assuming you don't have a staff. I know it's just me. Um, <laughs> you got to hire some teleworkers. I, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Portuguese chamber. Did you you? When did you become president of that? Was did that did those kind of coincide, or you took that no, those role were because kind of separate, but uh, kind of at the same time? I mean, I think the community, um, which has been around since the first immigrants arrived in 1878 i mean you know it's passed through many generations yeah. and i think we're kind of at an inflection point um but as president of the portuguese chamber we try to promote you know our portuguese businesses here of course foster a love for the country and the language and the history and everything else so we have had wine tasting events we had an author a children's book author from portugal um who's really into surfing obviously there's a big <laughs> surf culture yeah. there um if you've ever seen those pictures of those waves at nazare those giant waves um, so she came to Hawaii and, um, we did a book reading at the, at the Kahuku public library out on the North shore where there's a lot of surfers oh, and surfers wow, yeah. kids. And we bought some books to donate to the library in both English and Portuguese. Um, actually, as we sit here, uh, in my apartment, <laughs> you, I, the listeners can't see this, but there is a box. There's a whole crate of Portuguese sardines. Is that what those are? That's what that I is. I thought you were, I thought you were doomsday prepping. I, no, I I'm, I'm not nothing. doomsday prepping. <laughs> I'm not like bulking with, you know, tons yeah. of sardines, uh, protein or whatever. But, um, they, there was a company that sent me a crate of canned sardines cause they want to expand their oh. market. Um, Smart. And, and it's fantastic. I mean, I'm, you know, no, nothing against the, the supermarket, you know, canton that you find here, but this is just fantastic. That's awesome. And then, so what are you going to do with it? So I, I need to go make some appointments with uh, some of the local distributors here and just give them uh, samples and uh, connect them with the distributors. So uh, you, you've caught me with a little bit of late homework because they sent that to me a little while ago and I got to go uh, <laughs> go to, you know, our fields and Fujiokas and Tamuras and everywhere else that kind of serves fine food. Um and try to sell that. So if you're listening, if anyone out there is listening and interested in a crate of Portuguese sardines <laughs> and tuna, yeah. um, let me know. Hey, I'll tell you what, it's got some really good design on there, though. It's like very vibrant colors. Yeah. That's what I love. And, uh, and I think that's where we connect kind of on a level two because I used to live in Brazil. That's right. I did too. So when I found out you spoke Portuguese, now obviously I feel like your Portuguese because you studied it is yeah. a lot better than mine because mine's just conversational. I just learned it while I was there. Then there's that difference of the dialect. Yeah. Because Portuguese. Like, that's the best way to learn, right? It's just to immerse yourself yeah. and like figure things out. And actually, when I lived in Brazil, because, you know, the culture is a lot more just, um, how would you say? Like, it's, it's a lot more flexible and everybody's kind of more like hang loose, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and they have in Brazil, there's this sort of like great tradition of like, slang and like inventing sort of new words all <laughs> yeah. the time and so i'd be talking to people and because i studied uh portuguese and i i like felt like i sounded like a dictionary all the time <laughs> like, yeah hello like this is blah 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 
and uh, people there would just have all these like great slang words that I would just have to like learn and write down and like okay this is this is what that is and that's how it is right because you because we always learn the formal language yeah, in school yeah. and then you know when you go out into the street it's like oh I don't you're like hello how are you sir that's Pleased right to yeah. meet you and they're like yo what's up bro like <laughs> exactly and and the same thing happens I'm sure in English right yeah the, of course especially here in Hawaii with pigeon and everything else yeah. I mean if you're a Japanese tourist and you've learned in school you know, very <laughs> proper English and, and you roll up here and you have no idea, you know, what a lot of people might be saying. Um, but if you stay long enough, you'll quickly learn. Yeah. I remember when I first got here, I, I kept hearing, you know, it seems like cliche now because I've been here for so long, but the kind. Yeah. And then I quickly figured out that, it, you know, back home where I'm from, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we just say what you call it. Ah, and that can yeah. be anything. Yeah. So the kind is like anything. I like that. And then, so you just got back from Portugal. I did. What was that like? So I was there for a week, um, and uh, we are trying to set up a sister state relationship between Hawaii and Madeira. Madeira is an island in the Atlantic. It's um, about 90 minutes by plane from mainland Portugal. Uh, if, if you know where the Canary Islands are, which belong to Spain, it's kind of near the Canaries off of Morocco. And about half of the Portuguese immigrants who came to Hawaii came from Madeira. And so there's sort of a historical connection. But for some reason, we never got around to making a sister state relationship. Hmm. And so uh, I was kind of there to meet with people. I had just every day just was packed with meetings with the mayor of the capital and, you know, the regional parliament and uh, basically everyone else who would have some some stake in a sister state relationship. The uh, chancellor of the university there. Hmm. for uh, student exchanges, um, just to kind of set up that relationship. So we're hoping that next year uh, we can get it through. The legislature here in Hawaii would have to approve that. Um, but I think it would be really neat for historical reasons. Uh, that's where the ukulele, the progenitor of the ukulele came from. Really? Um, the original uh, stringed instrument. Ah. And um, so we're, you know, that's what we're trying to do. That's why I was there. And, of course, uh, my family is my great-grandfather was born there. My great-great-grandfather uh, and his wife, you know, emigrated to Hawaii. And uh, so it was also a little bit of a personal thing. And that's kind of neat, right? Getting to know yeah, your roots. Sure. And especially in a place like Hawaii where, where people are so proud of their family and where they came from, um, that was really neat. Huh. So, yeah, that's very interesting. So who kind of spearheaded that one? Was that something that you... Yeah, this is me. I mean, we've been trying for years. And in the late 1970s, Hawaii created a sister state relationship with another province of Portugal, another region, um, but never got around to doing Madeira. And so for years, you know, there had been different attempts, and I think we can get the ball over the finish line. Yeah, that's cool, man. Like, So what was it like when you went over there? Because I'm, I'm sure that some of them understand the history of them yeah. migrating to Hawaii. Uh, it was really it. neat. I mean, there's some people who are very familiar with this, um, but to them, Hawaii is a very, very far away place, right? <laughs> and um, unlike a lot of other destinations, you know, the, the Portuguese that came to Hawaii came uh, over 100 years ago. And so they, you know, because of the physical distance as well as the difference in time um a lot of those direct relationships have been lost so we're trying to rekindle that oh that's pretty cool man i see i didn't know that and then of course there are volcanic islands too so if you go i mean it looks very much like hawaii uh just with more of that kind of spanish mediterranean red tile roof and that's and that's why when i looked over at your crate 
And then you said it was from Portugal, these Portuguese sardines. Yeah. It reminded me of the buildings in Brazil, how they're, yeah. how they're painted. Right. And then, of course, because it's Portuguese influence and everything, too, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. And I, I like your, your effort that you're trying to connect uh, more of the roots of, of people from, you know, where they came from originally and, and settled in Hawaii. Yeah. And kind of, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's reclaiming or, or claiming that um, trait. Yeah. Because I just did a podcast with, with Senator Wakai, and he's been pushing an effort to have Hawaii kind of, you know, grab the surfing, the sport of surfing, and kind of say, hey, this is, this is ours. We should, we should claim it. Because you have other areas like Australia, like Brazil, mm -hmm. um, other parts around the world, California. Um, some high schools, he was saying, which I didn't know. I guess on the mainland, they have surfing in high school. So it, it seems like there's a, I don't know, like a, an awakening within maybe the younger people. We're still young, right? Yeah, we're definitely still and young. Trying to say, hey, I want to find, you know, I want to dig into the roots. I want to reconnect yeah. everything. I like that. I, I think it's, it's all about knowing your place in the world yeah. and like where you come from. Because I think that, under, that helps you understand why you're here. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's why I did uh, 23 and Me. Ah, there we go. What did that show? <laughs> uh, well, I'm mostly Irish, you know, French, Slovakian, uh, so many other things. There is some, like, um, Portuguese in there. Oh, it's there a very small amount. You know, it's like 0.03% or okay. something. But I'm more fascinated in the travels of, of, of my family throughout the generations. Right. And, and, and it shows you on the map of, like, where everyone... It's not like Ancestry.com. Have you ever done that? Mm -mm. Ancestry.com is cool because it's actually a paper trail. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I was able to trace my, my grandmothers on my mother's side. They came to the U.S. in like 1882. And then my great-great-grandfather fought in like World War One and things like that. And you look at the census and you can see all the people who lived in the house. Like 12 yeah, people living yeah. in the house. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. So it's... It's interesting. I don't know anything about my dad's side, really, though. Well, but. now's a great time to start. There's lots of, you know, resources out there. So, yeah, you know, I've, go I've, do some digging. I definitely, it's definitely something I want to try. But it's, what's interesting about 23andMe, did you do that one or not? My, um, my grandpa did that. Oh, I figured really? since I obviously know. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> it's the same set of family. But the thing about that one, though, is it, it'll, sh it'll show you everyone else who took it that you're connected oh, yeah. to, show you their name. And then there's an option if, um, if, if you can connect with them or if you're open to allowing them to message you. But it's always like, yeah, I got like 300 fourth distant yeah. cousins and whatever. Like, it's interesting. I, I kind of wish more people would take it so I could see really who's like my first, second, third cousin, right. where they're at. You know, are they going to leave me in their will? Or are they famous? <laughs> Something like that, right? That's right. Well, you know, apparently, according to my spam folder, I've got <laughs> relatives in Nigeria and, you yeah. know, uh, hey, wherever else. I'm still waiting for that check in the mail. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So that's cool, man. I've, I'm actually surprised. I didn't know all that about the, the consulate gig and that all the things that you were actually go. I knew you went to Portugal, but yeah. I didn't know why. It was really an official there. trip, although my Instagram, you know, would probably tell a different story. Cause yeah. There's all kinds of cool, neat things that I was able to do. <laughs> um in the few hours a day that i had to yeah. myself but um yeah the rest of the time was just meetings and you know we're hoping um within the next few months to start getting our application in it has to go to dbed uh here at the state level and then of course the legislature so we're we're moving on this uh, so it'll be exciting dbed 
What does uh, it have to do there, if you don't mind? So DBED is the Department of Business, Economic Development, and Tourism. So it's sort of the state's catch-all department for oh, anything see. economic development, international relations, tourism. So the sister state effort uh, falls underneath that. Oh, I see. I see. And is that something that you had to approach the governor? So um, it, it goes through, through the department. It'll go to the legislature. And, of course, the governor will have to sign it. Oh, so there's I lots see, of I moving see. parts, yeah, just okay. like everything else. Because I think um, the only thing I've ever seen was like sister cities. Ah, so, yeah, it's the same thing, basically. Yeah. Um, but on the sister city level, you know, it goes to the city council. And I think there's an office within the, the mayor's office that handles all of this. Oh, I see. Hey, that's cool, man. See, you're very humble. Because <laughs> you never post nothing about none of this. And I feel like you, you should give yourself credit more because that's a really cool experience. Oh, well, thank you. I hope at least somebody was taking some some action shots of you. Oh, there, there are lots of action shots uh, over. You know, they, they did a good job over there of um, I, I did a TV interview for, uh, I guess, the the national TV station and. Uh, in Portuguese in or English? In Portuguese. What? And it was on the first morning I arrived. And, <laughs> you know, just like the camera crew is there. And they're like, we're going to do an interview. And I'm like, I am still, my brain is foggy. But it, it apparently sounded okay. Oh, it was okay enough that they didn't require subtitles. So wow. I, I felt okay. Look at you, bro. Um, you're, you're local there yeah, too now. Right? <laughs> is that is that something that you, you can find on YouTube? Now I'm going to have to dig. Yeah, right. I, I'll, I'll put it on my Instagram at some point. Yeah, no, you won't. Actually, no, it's going to go on the uh, sister state website because we're going to try to get people to, um, you know, sign letters of support and, and all of that. So uh, it will right. be on there. It will be online. You better have some good photos on there, man. There are some good photos. <laughs> is that is that website up yet or is there no, a Facebook page? It is, uh, that was on my to-do list this weekend. <laughs> so I, I will get around to it. I feel like I should stop suggesting things because it's I know, just the, the adding to your to do list. Just gets longer and longer. But that's that's how it is, right? Uh, especially you know having so many hats in the community um, and, and managing all of that. But it's it's just a great way to um, use, I guess, all the things that I'm interested in, all my passions, yep. and and just um, you know help people. That's really what it comes down to. No, I agree, and that's that's why it doesn't feel like work. Also, yeah, I'm sure a lot of times it's kind of like oh, you just wish you had an extra hour to just chill. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, you know, life is so short. You just got to try to do as much, yeah. I think, good and as much things that will bring, you know, happiness to yourself and positivity because, you know, that's why I'm not one to, I don't really watch TV and whatnot because I figure um, if I'm sitting in front of the TV for an hour, I could at least be out, you know, even if I'm with like my Lions Club members doing something, some sort of charity work or whatever, like I don't just, uh, but then again, I'm more like a, an extrovert. Yeah. So I like ah, to be yeah. out and about. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I've been doing lately is taking one afternoon off every week um, just because, you know, I end up doing a lot of stuff on the weekends. So, so sometimes, you know, my, my Saturday or Sunday is totally shot, but I have a little bit of control, I guess, over the weekday um, and, you know, no Zoom meetings on whatever afternoon. It's usually a Thursday and I'll just go do something for myself. Yeah. No, that's whether awesome. it's going to the beach or um, have you been to the zoo lately? The zoo is like really neat. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, us local people like never would go there cause it's in Waikiki and it's, you know, but it, it's really neat. And, uh, you can spend a whole afternoon and, you know, look at the animals and they, before COVID they would have like programs and, yeah. um, you know, they would feed the sloths or whatever. And you'd like watch them do that. Cause so. just got the, uh, what is it? A year pass. And I've been going a couple of times just cause like you're saying, like it's, I've never gone until like a couple of months ago. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I have mixed feelings about zoos right, in general. Right, yeah. But, you know, it's cool to just see, like, the elephants and, and things like that. And 
it's really weird because the zoo is in like the middle of like Waikiki, right. but when you're in the zoo, it's like it's calm, quiet. I did not realize how big the zoo was. Yeah, I was like this. I was like, where is all of this when you're outside of the zoo? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but and it, with Hawaii's climate, like it, it feels you know the Africa section like kind of feels like yeah. Africa. you could feel like you're you know close your eyes and, and imagine yourself there um or in kind of the rainforest part with all the birds like you kind of feel like it feels yeah. like rainforest so um yeah it's a really special place and, and same with like um so you live in chinatown i mean you're mm. probably right next to foster garden i mean that's another yeah. sort of little oasis we have all these little like gems um in our city right that that people should appreciate more mm. um and i think well i hope that the pandemics made people realize like there actually is some cool stuff here yeah that, you can go explore for me it did for sure uh, especially like again like the botanical gardens and things i started going there um before covid never really did but um it's like we do have so so many of these little little hidden gems like you said and uh, honestly like a lot of these aren't even overrun by tourists yet yeah so it's kind of like a piece because if you try to go on a hike nowadays it's like you have to wait in line and right. <laughs> you know, trying to get up a trail is like, ah, oh, cringe. But, um, so if there's any tourists listening, the zoo sucks, the garden sucks. Yeah. Don't go, don't even bother. Yeah. <laughs> they're really expensive, but, uh, no. no, they're great. They're great. You should yeah. go. Yeah. It's just hard because you know, the, the, the trails just packed with people, uh, but you know, everyone's trying to escape COVID. Yeah. Which brings me into, you became chair of the democratic yeah. party of Hawaii during COVID, mm -hmm. which, um, we had talked about before, but I wanted to bring it up on the podcast uh, because I think it's interesting how everyone had to adapt during COVID. Um, all the clubs, all the organizations, how they held meetings, even how government operates, they had to change everything. And because um, one of the biggest things about getting elected to like a presidency or a chair of an organization is the convention. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have the big convention, you have the breakout rooms, the meetings during the day going over things, resolutions, bylaws, everyone's in person, the parties afterwards. Right. And then COVID happens and boom, everything's online. None of that, yeah. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. But it, it is, but you know, it's, uh, it's a testament to how resilient organizations are. Yeah. I mean, people figured it out and an organization like the Democratic Party of Hawaii or any other political party, um, you know, it's the whole goal is like keep it going right and so people adapt and figure it out um the the previous chair uh before me did a great job of like pivoting and getting an online vendor and you know um getting everybody mostly to adapt to the rules and yeah. figure out you know um some of the things in the bylaws like we clearly couldn't follow so right you know, what do you do you just make an exception and say you know we'll deal with it later um because you have to yeah and there's always exceptions to rules, especially, and I think a lot of people understand, like, there has to be. Right. Like, the show right. has to go on. And that's, you know, one thing about humans in general. We're really resilient. In the beginning, it takes us a minute, but then once we figure it out, yeah. it's like, okay, we can move forward. So when you became um, chair, were there other candidates? I don't remember. I didn't go because yeah, I hate online uh, meetings, yeah. so I didn't do the convention. Yeah, there were two other candidates that ran. And, um, again, stepping into this role or even offering yourself up to serve in this role um, during a very difficult time. I mean, that takes a lot of, um, I, I give them a lot of credit for stepping up. Oh yeah, this role. For It takes sure. a lot of courage to do that. Um, and then of course, you know, we had the convention and I, I won and ended up in this role and, you know, we sat down and looked at the budget and all of the fundraising <laughs> events that we typically did were all in person, right? We yeah. had a giant breakfast. We had a giant, 
um, happy hour party. And, and neither of those could be done um, in 2020. Uh, we're trying to do them at the end of 2021. We thought we could maybe do them in the spring or summer, but that clearly uh, hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. And then um, I also came in in August of 2020. And right around the corner after that was the 2020 elections. So how do you organize people and get them to volunteer all remotely, all online. Yeah. Um, you can't go and, you know, knock on people's doors and ask them to vote <laughs> for, you know, the, the democratic slate of candidates. You just couldn't. Yeah. And that was hard too. Cause I, I ran for office, but for me running for office was when COVID hit and they locked everything down. I was like, uh, I kind of lost motivation because yeah. for me, I love campaigning. I love the knocking on doors right. and things like that. And the fact that I wouldn't be able to go out and meet people and tell my story, I was just like, oh, this sucks. And then yeah. I guess depression, too, because of COVID and the lockdowns. Right. But so hmm, that's interesting, yeah, because the fundraising is something that my other groups, I'm president of my Lions Club now. And uh, yeah, we didn't fundraise last year. And now we're looking at our budget like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and even still, so a lot of the things that we did were like um, selling coupons to like McDonald's. You know, we sell booklets and things like that. Um, but yeah, how do you, and we're still trying to figure out how can we raise money? Well, cause no one's meeting in person really. Right. So like, how do you, so we had to be creative. And, uh, one of the things that I'm really proud of is we converted to doing events by mail. So, you know, you would order a snack box and we'd have a zoom, um, right. to watch the presidential debates and everyone would be sitting in the zoom together and you'd <laughs> eat some snacks, uh, that we specifically, you know, selected for that event. Um, you know, we did uh, the first presidential debate was in Cleveland, Ohio. So we got some snacks from Ohio. Oh, uh, they have these delicious like chocolate Buckeyes, which are little peanut butter balls covered in chocolate. And we got some taffy and, you know, other things just to make it feel kind of fun for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, for the DNC convention, uh, we got some cocktail kits. So uh, it was all the mixers and we would send it in these little like they're almost like test tubes or little bottles, right? and little <laughs> simple syrup and a little like dragon fruit syrup and tell people like, here's the ingredients and here's how you, you know, make your own little DNC celebratory cocktail. And, you know, that was, it ended up being great. And it's not something we ever would have done before. Right? Yeah. Before we just would have invited, invited people to one but was place. That, was that fundraising it. though? Like they would It was. You, know, you buy the box for 25 bucks and the things in the box plus the postage is, I don't know, 15 Wow, that's a really great idea though. I yeah. might actually bite that idea. Totally. I'll give you guys credit though. I'll say, hey, I learned this. Yeah. From I'll tell them, hey, go listen to about what? All 25 minutes in there the we podcast. Go. There you go. Because I think that is something that... um we could do even for for the other groups i belong to um and what about your portuguese chamber do they have to fundraise or do they get a so we amount? um yeah we do so we did a uh we also did a wine tasting but um people had to pick up the wines from tamora's and we we had a whole set menu and and um people would buy their tickets and show that they got a ticket and, and redeem it mm -hmm. um you take the wine home and, and actually it was kind of nice because you could go home and you could make you know, all the little appetizers that you would want. We had a whole recommended list of um, things that would pair well, right? So That's the first awesome. one was, you know, would pair really well with uh, a really sharp cheese or kind of oh, salty. I remember that. I remember whatever. that email. And, um, you know, so you just got to get a little creative. Um, and frankly, it kept our cost down, right? Because yeah. in an ordinary situation, you'd have to rent out a whole event space or, you know, half a restaurant or whatever. Um, and so we didn't have to do that. 
Now, of course, when we can go back to restaurants, we'd love to yeah. do that because, you know, we got to support our, our restaurants. But for, you know, at that time, it, it made a lot of sense. And at least we could stay a little bit connected with everyone else. Yeah, no, I like that. That's See, now I kind of regret not looking at the emails because literally, like, I hated Zoom meetings. Like, I just felt like, I, I again, because I'm more of a social yeah. person, I want to be there in person. Um, now, I do think Zoom meetings are more efficient by far, but... I just really like that social aspect. So I, was, yeah. I just cut off. I was like, oh, I'm done. I'm just going to go to work because I, I didn't telework. I worked in an office. Um, so I'm still going to work every day. So I was lucky. I got to get out the house. A lot of people didn't get, right. out, get to get out. So I get why, you know, those people were probably like on the Zoom and all that for the social events. Um, but I just stuck to my PlayStation 5, bro. So <laughs> that's just good. Or, well, PlayStation 4. And then I got a 5. So Everyone needs an outlet. Yeah. But I just want everyone out there who's been trying to get a PlayStation 5 to just be jealous because he ain't getting one anytime soon, it seems. But um, the bidding, the bidding starts for James's <laughs> PlayStation 5. Yeah. Wait, I don't know if I can do that over the, over the podcast. Okay, well, we'll yeah, scratch yeah. that part. <laughs> but I do. I do um, yeah, that's a really cool idea. Uh, I, th- I think that's something that I can kind of copy uh, for maybe like my Lions Club or other groups I belong to. So when you were entering into becoming chair and the lockdowns were there, did you have to adjust anything that you had planned to do besides maybe the fundraising? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we, we, of course, have lots of events all the time as a party, as, as the dominant party in the state. And so, so we, we did have to adapt. But it's, it's actually created, I think, a, a recipe that could be replicated even when it's not a pandemic. So every week. Uh, we have uh, these lunch and learn series. We bring an expert in and they talk about a certain event. And if, if we were to do this in real life, it would probably have to be in an evening. Yeah. Um, we'd probably have to get some food for people and, you know, make yeah. all these arrangements. But since it's on Zoom, we can do it during lunchtime because everybody has to eat lunch at some point. And since it's at lunch, Hawaii time, we can get experts from the East Coast to tune in. Yep, yep. And wow. if we were to do this in person, we would be, you know, our, our pool of people who would talk with us would be basically just people who could drive to our headquarters. So it would be people who live in town. I mean, mm-hmm. we, I don't even think we could have an expert from the North Shore drive in because that, that would be, you know, yeah. an hour and a half in traffic. And that's, you know, ridiculous to ask them to do. Yeah. But now they can just beam in from their house and, and be on Zoom and we all get to learn from them. And can um, even be at work, still listening. Right. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of people either listen to music if they're teleworking or something. Right. So, yeah. And, and the format lends itself well to being recorded and, you know, uploaded onto Facebook and people can play it afterwards if, if they weren't able to make it. Whereas if it's in person, you know, you got to have a whole microphone set up and video and, you know, it's, it's a lot yeah. more of a hassle. And then, so when it comes to like those little fundraising ideas, is that, something that kind of spurred in your mind or was that like a collective i'm sure always a collective yeah. effort but the organizing of that i guess i just, i always want to give a shout out to to people like like aaron fernandez yeah executive she's director. she's fantastic that's a rough gig executive director it, it for is. any organize and you know that because you used my to be employee. <laughs> yeah. but you used didn't you used to be an yeah, i used to be director. executive director of the hawaii construction alliance yeah so you're like you're the main cog in the machine man yeah like <laughs> and if the board wants something, you got to get that done, but you got what staff and things right. need. So that's so it's a big balancing act. So yeah, every executive director out there, shout out to them, yeah, especially those that like made it through the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to them. Um, but yeah. You know, it's, it's a team effort just like everything else. And I think here in Hawaii, we do a good job of that, right? It's, um, recognizing, you know, the team's effort and supporting them and 
not being you know overbearing right it's it's not a dictatorship yeah um but also like spurring them to action because you know what good is a committee if they don't do anything yeah so just it's like there's a little bit of push and pull you know if they're always arguing or attacking each other right but um i do say too it was always it was disappointing that we didn't get to have that uh um that the, what is the what is the breakfast after the primary election oh yeah yeah unity breakfast yeah the yeah. unity breakfast and that's cool so for anyone who may not know what that is i'm not do i'm not sure if other states might do it too they probably do but it's after the primary election the democrats in our state will have a, a breakfast yeah and win or lose Everybody yeah win or shows lose. up all the candidates do and it's um it's a nice tradition yeah it, so we should actually, that's a good reminder, adding to this to-do list. Man, see, the more I talk <laughs> with you, the more to-do list. So you got to start planning for uh, 2022. Yeah, because you got to have that. And um, because I think that's super important because a lot of people are very upset. They spend a lot of time and energy running for office, a lot of money, a lot of hopes are shattered. Um, so, man, that, that, that night can be devastating for some people. And then, you know, that next morning, a lot of people are just like, I don't want to get out of bed. Yeah. But if they know, they got to show their face at this unity breakfast. And then you go there and really most people are in like high spirits. Yeah. I always had a blast. I was always late because I was like hung over. Because <laughs> if I was running, you know, I was, of course, partying. Yeah. Know. Even though I lost, I was like, ah, it's okay. I don't mind. You know, like life moves on. But right. it's still an experience is what I appreciate, too. Um, and you ran, you ran for, I did, yeah, city, ran council. for city council. And so I, I had the same experience, but you go and that's, it, it's part of the process Yeah, and it, it takes, I think a certain level of maturity, but I think if you're running for office, you possess that already. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you, it's just something you have to do. Yeah. Some people though, they, I think some people, they run for office and they don't, of course, you never want to think you're going to lose, right? But they just, they really just, I don't know, they don't think about it at all. And then when that moment happens, they're just so devastated. They just yeah. give up. They want to give up on politics, on, on the community and everything. And it's like, oh, it's, it's all right, man. Like That's right. There's so much you can do beyond running for office to make a change in your community. Mm. Um, and there's so much, you know, if you're willing to put yourself out there as a candidate or anything else, and you have these skills you want to share with the community, then continue to share them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, if, if it doesn't work out, you can start a podcast. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I did. I was like, well, I mean, and honestly, that's kind of why I started the podcast. Not because oh, I, I lost, but it was like, uh, I do... Uh, I consider myself connected to the community leaders and, and our legislative leaders and, and things like that. So I, I have a, a, a wide variety of people that I know, business leaders and things. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, people like yourself have such interesting stories. And instead of us sitting down at, you know, some local bar, just talking between us, sharing interesting stories, you know, have these people come on the podcast and share their story. Um, and sometimes I think that's just the journey that has to be taken. Not to say that this will ever be super popular and that anyone will care about yeah. what I'm talking about, but uh, you never know, and you just have to take those chances. That's right. And, you know, when one door, uh, I wouldn't even say it closes, but, you know, it might shut halfway because something's going on in there. You just come back later, but you got other doors to check. That's right. You know? Um, and this goes back to people being flexible, right? Yeah. I mean, we were all flexible because of the pandemic. You know, you... you sort of sit down and reassess and then figure it out. And it's the same thing. I mean, whether it's, again, running for office or any other thing and, and, and you lose or there's a setback, take a breath, 
figure it out, pivot and, and move forward. Cause you yeah. have to. And this with, I mean, even if it's like, I know people, like if you're studying for the bar, I know people that have, you know, failed the bar like twice, three times. Yeah. If you just gotta, if you really want it, um, you know, you just gotta keep, keep going at it. And yeah, it's disappointing, but, and you should let yourself be disappointed because that's an emotion yeah. that, you know, you should have otherwise be like a sociopath, but, um, you just got to pick yourself up and go. And then maybe, um, I was on, I had another podcast with another guy that I know he was talking about, uh, the reason he joined one of the organizations that we belong to is cause he just, he had an epiphany one day and, and he said, he just, he, he had picked up a book years ago. He's an avid reader and, um, he was questioning his own, um, philosophical ideas, religious upbringing, things like that. And then one day he decided, okay, I'm actually going to read that book. He just, something in his head told him, read that book. And he said, when he read that book, it just hit him like, okay, this is the path I'm going to pursue because this is exactly what I've kind of been, it's the missing puzzle piece in my mind. And he kind of just, you know, the path that he's been on has, has been a successful one for him. Um, and that's, you know, again, maybe, so maybe the podcast for me was just, Honestly, the podcast spurred from um, I kept applying for jobs and I just kept getting you know denied. I would go through these interview processes yeah. and they would be like, yeah, oh, we really like you, blah, 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 okay. which I hate that. Just, just do the interview. Don't send me no fancy emails. Just say, hey, thanks for interviewing. We'll give you the mm -hmm. results. But then, you know, I would, you know, oh, sorry, we went with the other candidate or blah, 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 blah. And it's like, ah, you know. It's just frustrating. And then one, one, I've always had the podcast idea in the back of my mind, really since about 2013. A friend of mine had approached me about doing it. And then um, I was like, ah, you know, I would do it. Um, but we just never jumped on it. And then just throughout the years, it's always been in my head. And then, man, that one email, I said, you know what? Fuck this. I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I have nothing to lose. I said, I know a lot of cool people. Maybe people will be interested in the stories, too. And then, actually, you are my 10th guest. Yeah. So I Lucky just number 10. give you a round of applause. Because I think, um, you know, usually statistically, I think it's about three podcasts. People last and then they quit mm. because no one realizes the amount of work that it yeah. actually takes. It's not about just recording it and uploading it. There's so much extra work. So the fact that I made it to 10 and had you here, that's oh, why for me, you. 10 was a... Is a lucky milestone. number. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so it's a mini milestone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you giving me your time. And um, well, I look forward to you getting to 100. Yeah. So, yeah. Hopefully. We'll um, but we'll just kind of revert back to the Democratic Party and whatnot. I want to know if you're willing to share it, how you feel about the Democratic Party's, um, I guess it would be the perception of the residents of Hawaii on how our democratic legislators in the house, not maybe the party because the party is a fun is full of a bunch of like really diehard, like yeah. go getters. But well, it seems I, like our, and I think you've hit on an interesting point. So um, for the listeners out there who, if you're not from Hawaii, uh, Hawaii is the bluest state in the country. We have 24 out of 25 seats in the state Senate. Woo! 47 out of 51 in the state house. Um, you know, all, all but one of our governors has been a Democrat. Uh, all but two of our um, 
Congress people in recent history uh, have been Democrats. So it's, it's a dominant political force, but because it's so dominant, all of the sort of factions that make up the big tent of the Democratic Party nationwide, uh, all of those tensions are exacerbated. So there's, there's people who um, are, are strong Democrats because they're strong environmentalists, or there's people who are strong in the labor movement and workers' rights, and there are people who are strong in, in other social causes, right? And, and they come to the table, and because, again, we're so dominant, I think everyone's you know voice becomes that much louder and, and that much more present. Whereas if you're in a state like Ohio or um, you know another sort of swing state, Nevada or somewhere else, um, I, I think they they have to hold hands a lot tighter. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know here uh, sometimes the gloves come off, and so that's where it's at. So that's the first part, and then the second part is the public's perception, and and I think. That when, because the party's so dominant, when a, a member of the public disagrees with a decision of one yep. person, whether that's the governor or you know someone in the legislature or whatever, it becomes like, oh, they're they're mad at the party, you know, this party, blah blah blah. I I, I would like to say <laughs> that um, you know if if you go back to civics, if you go back to eleventh grade or eighth grade or whenever you did civics, there's a whole process, right? And yeah. So it's easy to um, cast blame on the sort of nameless, faceless entity, the Democratic Party. Yeah. But there's a lot more that goes into it. And if you're mad about a decision that the governor made, then contact the governor. Yeah. Um, and if, if you contact me about it, I will forward your email. On. That's <laughs> fine. That's my job. I'm happy to do that. But, um, you know, I, I think that the way that our country is so polarized right now, it's really easy just to sort of, again, have this nameless, faceless thing that, that you blame. Mm-hmm. And it's true on our end too, right? Uh, people blame Trump for everything under the sun. Yeah, <laughs> it's not always Trump. Sometimes it's Mitch McConnell. Yeah, um, people blame you know Mitch McConnell for this, that, or whatever. Sometimes it's you know one one member of the Senate that's holding things up, and you know to to some extent as the leader, uh, Mitch McConnell I'm sure could talk to whoever that person is and, and figure it out. But um, you know there there is a process, and I think there there needs to be more of an appreciation of that, uh, especially if we want to get away from being so polarized in this country. Yeah. And, and see what, <clears throat> what kills me is, um, again, even when, you know, when Bush was president, it was Bush's fault and everything was Obama's fault and everything is Trump's fault still. Um, but in my opinion, like people, they don't pay attention to their actually, what really impacts them is the local politics. Right. Um, they just, you know, whatever's going on locally, they're still blaming on, like, they want the president to be basically like a reigning monarch. Like, the president has limited powers on purpose. Mm -hmm. I don't want the president to have all these powers to just make these executive actions and things happen right. in all the states. That's not, you know, um, Hawaii is not, you know, Missouri. I don't, you know, I don't, what if Biden's making decisions that would really not be pretty for Hawaii based on, you know, Delaware? Like, right. I don't, I don't right. want the president to have those i want people to pay attention to their local leaders their local candidates and things like that because those are the ones that have been in office for decades and maybe you're complaining because you got potholes in your street or you're complaining because um health costs in your state are too high but i mean don't worry about the president yeah. you got to worry about the local guys and, and i think this goes back to something we talked about earlier which was you know people being adaptable mm. and I think we live in this outrage culture where like you hear about something that you don't like and, and you're <laughs> offended and outraged about it. Yeah. But humans are adaptable. 
and you may not like this decision, but you're going to survive. Take a breath. You'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. For the most part, there, there are some things which are, are somewhat existential. Um, but, you know, for the most part, like if the pothole in front of your house isn't filled tomorrow, you'll be fine. Complain. Write a letter until it gets done. Mm-hmm. But it's not, you know, you, you won't die. Well, I think it goes back to, to your, what you were saying earlier about the process. Your pothole will be on a list of a thousand potholes. Right. And, you know, to be honest, though, a lot of ta- in a lot of cases, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. It's true. Which is kind of what I've found out, you know, the more you harp on something and nag, then, you know, might get done a little earlier. Right. But uh, still, again, like you said, you have to respect the process. And, and I think one other thing that I've come to realize is, you know, all of these people uh, from President Biden on down, they are all people Yeah. with limited attention spans and they can only do so much all <laughs> yeah. at once and you know even if there's a whole agency or, or a cadre of people you know working on something it's it's still you know a process we we again live in a society of immediate gratification and mm-hmm. most things aren't immediate yeah you gotta you gotta wait you gotta be patient <laughs> and and you know to some extent and and i ran for city council and i've seen roads that haven't been repaved for 40 years and yeah. you know that that's egregious obviously um but, you know, speak up, complain, make sure that you're on the list of potholes to be filled. But see, complain and move yourself up. And I'm, but see, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up too, that part, because the other side too is people have to remember there's egos in politics. Mm-hmm. And if you are an elected official and uh, let's just say, let's just say the mayor hates you, like you're just beefing. <laughs> none of your roads getting paved <laughs> you know right. no matter how much people complain so yeah <laughs> there's so much that goes into it into politics which is why yeah. i love it i love the there's everything from from a sociological aspect to a, a psychological aspect the the individual person the ego things like this right group think all that i love it man i mean we live in a society and we all have to get along and that involves people yeah (laughs) with all their flaws and you know all of that and um it requires a certain degree of um understanding and finesse and you know that's that's how it is we're we're not robots thank goodness we're not robots i think because one of the one of the reasons i asked this because one of the things that people have always been talking about is like legalization of marijuana which is always the the hottest topic but Especially during COVID, yeah, the raising of the minimum wage yep. was a huge thing. Um, but it just seems never to work. I, it's weird to me. I mean, I get it. In my opinion, there should be you know, multiple layers to it. Like, it shouldn't just be raising the minimum wage. There should be, like, tax incentives and, and breaks for small, small businesses. You know, not IBM, right? Um, but because a lot of companies here, they do pay below national average, but we have a, like one of the highest, if not the highest cost of living. Um, and you as in one of your many hats is chair of the Democratic Party who s- supports raising the minimum wage. Um, is it frustrating for you? Or yeah. actually, let me tap onto that one too real quick. Is uh, um, And working with the Portuguese chamber, which represents the businesses, which I think gives you a really good insight in, and helps you in your role as chair because yeah. you're able to draft testimony and explain to people the impacts of different things. 
Um, so when it comes to like, they just keep denying the raising of the minimum wage. How, how is that frustrating for you as a chair? Or absolutely. And I uh, wrote an op-ed in March, mm, uh, right in the middle right. of legislative session, which got a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it negative from the legislature. Some people were, <laughs> were upset. Oops. But as chair of the Democratic Party, it should be no surprise that the chair of the Democratic Party is supporting one of the key issues and, and tenets of the party. Um, and President Biden himself has called for a $15 minimum wage, which, uh, you know, would be much higher than we have here in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's taken steps on the federal level to do that. Um, but, you know, w- w- one thing we've also seen in the pandemic is it's very difficult for uh, businesses to get their employees back. And I think part of that is just the wage incentives not there. And, yeah. and wages have been stagnant for <clears throat> too long. And so we as a community, and this isn't just a question of raising the minimum wage because everything else is interconnected, the cost of housing, the cost of just living here, uh, you know, everything has to be shipped in it. And there is a price to paradise. How do we deal with all of those things and make sure, and at the end of the day, raising the minimum wage is just one part of making sure that people can survive here and that we're treating, you know, those who are, are hourly wage earners that we're treating them with dignity and, and valuing their work. I've coming from a labor background, I, I believe very firmly um, that there is dignity in all work, whatever you do. Mm-hmm, for sure. It's it should be respected and it has to be recognized. And so um, it, it's very clear to me that this is something they should have done. They didn't do it. Um, but, you know, we will continue to try again. I think on the other hand, there's um, you know, there are a lot of people who are really um, great advocates and activists and very excited about this issue. And, you know, they didn't get the ball over the finish line. The sports analogy might be a good one. If, <laughs> if one tactic doesn't work, maybe it's time to think of another one and, tr- you know, use the off season to train and all of that. Um, but if you're just going to run the same play over and, <laughs> and over, over and, and over, over again, yeah. why are we surprised <clears throat> when the same thing happens? Well, it's interesting now because I, uh, because of the pandemic and everything um and you could say yeah because people were getting the extra money on unemployment the workers have thrown the audible and they've said well guess what not going to work not going or not going it's not that i'm not going to work but it's it's like why would i work for you when you know if i want a day off i got to ask you 3 months in advance like yep. you treat me like shit you know if i'm 2 minutes late you're complaining mm-hmm. like it's just and and you know the the 40 hour work week eight hours a day, five days a week, you know, doesn't work for everyone. It didn't before. And we just didn't realize it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have uh, going back to Erin, who was our executive director of the party. Mm -hmm. um, You know, she has two kids at home Mm -hmm. and it was a lot easier for her to just work from home and get the kids ready and get them situated on their iPads uh, for virtual school. Then, you know, in, if it weren't a pandemic, you know, she'd be running around, drop them off, get to the office. Like that's crazy. (laughs) You know? Well, I'm disappointed in the fact that the a lot of the departments here in Hawaii are talking about bringing teleworkers in. You know, they want like three or four days a week. But for me, I'm just like, why? Okay, right. one day a week, uh, I kind of get it, post-pandemic. Doesn't make sense to bring them in like they've already started during a pandemic, which is still ongoing. But, um, yeah, like you're saying, like especially especially single parents or just parent, you know, households where both parents are working and they have kids, they're going to school or to sports. Like, it's so much easier and convenient um to telework 
And you know what? Personally, hey, if you're at home and your your work day is eight hours, whatever, you get your lunch, and you're doing something, and and you take five ten minutes to go do something else in right. your house or whatever, it's okay because that ten minutes that you're getting your kid ready for something or doing something that other people will say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be working. Bro, if you were at the office, you'd be on your phone. Right. You'd be in the bathroom. You'd be in the lounge, you know, smoke breaks. Right. So um, I, I, I think the policy needs to just, just change. Like you were saying, the, the work week should be shortened because we have enough workers. But that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. I, I wanted to say that uh, on top of the people not going to work, one of the arguments for raising a minimum wage was that all the costs of everything will go up. <laughs> but guess what? Guess what happens when no one's working in the factories, right. the fishing boats? They're not manufacturing anything. The prices go up because we don't yeah. have as much. Um, even right now, people who are trying to get appliances, uh, you know, the appliances are, are on like a, a six-month yep. backlog. And it's not even guaranteed that they'll have the supply in six months. We just ordered a stove for my grandma, um, and it's... We've had the uh, delivery day like pushed back, wow. I think three or four times, um, and and it's it's amazing. I mean, you know, it's a stove. There should yeah. be it's pretty easy to. There, and, there should be thousands of stoves. And the cost you know, of them has gone up. Yeah, because again, no one's really making them. There's no workers in the factories. So these are these are um, you know, in a sense, if we take the pandemic out of it and we just say people are protesting not working, it's an unnecessary like just pay the people. Um, I still get with the pandemic and all that. I do just want to say, did your grandma live here? In yeah, Hawaii? here. Have you have you been to like Lowe's and Home Depot and looked at like their slightly damaged or or returned items? We have, bro. There's a lot. I was just yeah. over there yesterday, and they had like washers and dryers brand new because the order was canceled by the person. Ah, like. One of them was like uh, originally like nine hundred ninety dollars. It was discounted down to like three twenty four. Wow. So anyone listening, that's right. You might want to go, go check out your Lowe's and, and and ask for the clearance items or there's another uh, like damaged right, it, but they're not like damaged like dish, right like they, they won't just work. scraped or something. Yeah. I mean, it's cosmetic. Yeah, and and this I think again goes back to people being adaptable and yeah. like you know it's people learn and figure out how to economize and, and yeah. how to be a savvy smart shopper. Um, and I think also the pandemic showed that. And we're kind of seeing that a little bit now. Uh, you know, the, the price of ahi, I went to Tamashiro's the other yep. day. I tried to get some bouquets. <laughs> it's insanely expensive. But right when the pandemic began, they were they couldn't sell all the ahi they were bringing in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we live in like this, this like strange economy. <laughs> um, and we're all participants in it. But, um, you know, hopefully things get back to normal. We... Uh, can match supply and demand a little bit better, but there's some things that are way out of whack. I mean, you know, housing here is yeah. a, a definitely an example of supply and demand and, and not that's, being in sync. That's something that else I, I don't think you, in, you you mentioned in your intro about yourself. Now, when we had talked before over in Kakaako, you had mentioned something that you were working with. A, yeah, so can we're we talk working, about that? Sure, yeah. Um, it's still a little tentative. We're hoping to launch uh, in the next few months, um, but a nonprofit that would be focused on housing, not just housing advocacy, but um, being really a resource center because we don't have uh, the same ecosystem of housing nonprofits that a lot of other cities um, in the rest of the United States have. Um, You know, there is not a tenants rights organization. There's not 
if you have a problem with your landlord, what are you going to do? But what is that um, Hawaii tenants? Do you I, know which I, one I'm talking about? I, I think, you know, I've seen some, some I think flyers just... out there. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you have an issue, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Oh, yeah, there's like no... Uh, you, you might call uh, a legal clinic type place and they might give you a brochure, or give you a little bit of advice and say, you know, good luck. Um, and that's obviously a travesty. Part of our housing market, in addition to supply and demand being imbalanced, is you know people are are uh, people are moving around. They get evicted. They get you know they can't afford the rent. They move somewhere else, or they have an issue with the landlord. Or um, you know here in Hawaii, we have a lot of people who live in um, kind of multi generational family things. They're one yeah. fight away a fight with their father or whatever <laughs> from being, being kicked out. And that, right? yeah, that happens. And, and that happens far too often. And there's really no resource for a lot of these people. And so, you know, we're, we've been working with a lot of different organizations to put that together. We're trying to get some grant money and, and get it off the ground because it's really something that's absolutely needed uh, here in the community. So maybe in a few months uh, after this is set up, we can come back and talk. Yeah, housing. I would like that. Yeah. And what what is a so you guys are gonna try to provide like legal services? Yeah. So we're we're hoping to take the model of uh, some of the other organizations in the community that do direct legal services uh, for members, um, and and then also do uh, sort of a think tank um, analysis of housing. You know, people left left right and center come up with ideas for housing and and how we make more affordable housing or make existing housing more affordable or whatever, you know, any number of things. Mm-hmm. There's, there is not an organization that look that takes a dispassionate look and says, Hey, you know, if you implement this policy, what's going to happen. And so to that extent, you know, we've been developing housing policy in sort of a, you know, flying blind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and trying to see if this works and it doesn't work and you're reticent to change it afterwards. But if it's not working, what good is it? Yeah, and it's a shame, like, because uh, some people say, oh, well, if you can't, you know, afford housing, you know, get an apartment or, you know, move in, you know, live with your family forever. But it really, it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And it shouldn't be that way. Um, I mean, I think it's just weird. Like, I don't know, Hawaii is such finite land, you know, there's only so much space we can use. Um, and the state and, and the military owns a lot of it, uh, but I won't get into that. No. But even subtracting that out, we still have a huge housing issue, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, all these causative factors, even if you take away you know, one or the other, there is no doubt that we are in a crisis, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is of our own making. And we're going to have to get ourselves out of it. There's no magic wand. It's not uh, 10,000 houses aren't going to materialize from thin air overnight and and solve yeah. the problem. And what's crazy is <clears throat> we won't even talk, you know, unless you want to about the moratorium that's not extended for the housing. Right. But even before that Hawaii was having a, a housing crisis, like even with just a homeless population, we can't build that many houses a year to even keep up with the homeless population, right. let alone the actual housing that we need for people, you know. Yeah. So you don't have to have three generations, four generations living in a a two bedroom condo. If you could, if you could, and I'm springing this on you, my bad, but if you could implement one initial policy or idea that they said, okay, we'll do one thing right now. What do you think? So at the legislature, uh, in 2017, um, I worked on passing a bill became law that created, uh, 
a tax waiver for the construction of certain class of affordable rental housing. And it was a great program that set up and and we uh, got the state to waive the general excise tax for construction renovation of affordable rentals. We got the construction unions, people building it, to take a wage reduction to lower the cost of labor in exchange for having a certain number of units. So you could, these construction workers could be building the homes that they yeah. live in. Which I think is so That's smart. part of the deal. Uh, we approached the banks, the local banks, and they agreed to give, um, you know, best pricing uh, as well as the contractors, best pricing and execution. So we put together this basket of, of uh, incentives to help the creation of affordable rentals. And the first project um, submitted their application and it was found that there was a uh, there was an issue. There was a legal issue in implementing it. Hmm. And so we went back to the legislature to say, hey, can we fix this? Can we expand the program? And unfortunately, it's been, you know, that fix has been stuck at the legislature. It hasn't passed. <laughs> if it were, we would be able to create, you know, um, middle class workforce rental projects. And, and there are a number of developers who are ready to go to build these these things and they're being held up because the legislature hasn't taken action on it. And so I'm hoping that next session they do because this is one of the cheapest quote unquote ways for the state to incentivize housing production. The state could build thousands of public housing units Mm -hmm. and, and they have, I mean, if you look at mayor Wright, which is on the other side of Chinatown from where we're sitting right now, um, they want to spend $2 billion on mayor Wright. And that's fine. That's fine. That's great. The new huge need. For, yeah, to, to renovate. Whatever happened thing. to that. And, and we can talk about okay. you know, all of that uh, on a future podcast. Yeah, okay. That's, that's um, a deep, deep one. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's other much, you know, cheaper ways for the state to make a dent in housing. And that's one of them. The other thing that I, I really think that the state needs to do is um, look at student housing at UH. Um, dollar for dollar, unit for unit, this is one of the cheapest ways that we can create housing that's dedicated to a specific type of person. It's not going to be sold to, you know, a millionaire from California. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to swoop in and buy a dorm room. Yeah. But we can get, you know, our UH students out of, you know, apartments in Waikiki or, you know, wherever they might be living, Macaulay, and, and get them onto campus. UH has a proposal right now. Um, they, they just did the EIS for it, and it's about $200,000 a unit. I mean, that is a price point that it, it makes sense. Yeah. And it's, it's cheaper than building it on the private market. Um, there are a lot of other housing interventions, though, that end up being more expensive than if the private market were to do it themselves. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this a really good investment in the community if it's going to be more expensive than, than to have the government be involved? Yeah. And, and so this is the kind of thing that, going back to the housing nonprofit, the think tank aspect would look at. Um, there was a proposal to um, build, you know, modular factory-built housing uh, out in, uh, kind of by Waipahu. Mm. It ended up being unit for unit, like 700-something thousand dollars. Yeah. At that point, the state should just buy, you know, they should, the state should just send someone to an open house and just buy a bunch yeah. of houses, yeah. right? And, and of course, that's facetious, but it, it says something about how we spend our housing money. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to do a much better job of making sure that it actually produces housing that people can afford. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, a lot of the residents here, they'll say, ah, it's the foreign investors. They're buying up all the expensive properties and, um, you know, the mainlanders who are retiring and moving here. But I'd be curious to know, maybe you know, 
from what I understand, the foreign investors is not even. A, it's it's a small slice, but you yeah. know, we to your point, we don't know. We yeah. don't know all of these things. We have a gut feeling, and a lot of policy gets driven around these gut feelings yeah. that people have. Um, but we don't actually know to what extent they're foreign buyers and or I, mainland people re- retiring here and and thus driving up the you know all yeah. of these things. And you know we should have somebody that studies this, and that's part of what the think tank would do. Because I, I was on a committee that was organized uh, right before COVID hit, and we met. It was a bunch of like, it was like Bank of Hawaii. Um, what is it? Is it EAH? Oh, yeah. The, EAH. And, they do great work. Um, IBW had representatives there. I was there. A bunch of other people. And it was kind of like, let's all sit down and let's just have a real, like, what is it? Like, right. different stakeholders, basically. And uh, one of the things that I, I had always heard was one of the biggest costs was the utility work. Mm-hmm. Because when they build a new tower, they have to upgrade everything around it. And, you know, so my suggestion was, well, what, 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 what would be the cost savings if, if the state said, okay, we'll take care of the infrastructure. We just need you guys to build the units. But then on top of that, um, what are the, also, what are the constitutional arguments against saying like you have to have residency before you purchase a house or a property in Hawaii. Do you know anything about that? I do. I do a little bit. Um, and, uh, but I'm going to defer to this future yeah, has yeah, nonprofit yeah, yeah. to, you know, study a lot of these questions, but you're right. I mean, there are all of these things that, uh, there are all of these factors that, that go into the equation and it's not as simple as waving a magic wand yeah. and, um, making these costs go away or, passing the cost to somebody else. Because yeah. at the end of the day, somebody's going to have to pay for it. And it's a question of who does that, right? And it's and that kind of goes back to like what I was saying earlier, is like um, a lot of the arguments that are used, they're, they're great on the mainland where you have so much space, but we don't have so much space. And uh, from what I understand, there's a certain percentage of the land that you just cannot build on because it has to be right. permeable, right? Mm-hmm. So that limits as well where and, and how much we can build on that. Um, so yeah, I, I, this would be a good topic for a future podcast. Yeah. Like I like urban that. planning in Honolulu because <laughs> there's certainly a lot to talk about. There. Yeah, for sure. I'm actually going to have a guy on and talk about that too. Oh, great. Um, but, uh, what are you going to do in the future? What are your, what are your, I guess, what is what do you got coming up in the next, I guess, year or six months? Cause you got the yeah, chamber. Well, we've, we've talked about, uh, some of these things. So with the chamber and the, the consular role, um, you know, getting our sister state relationship with Madeira going, I think that's really exciting with the party. My term ends in May. Uh, and so soon. between now and May, we have a convention to plan. Uh, we've, I mean, the, the party's been through a lot in the past year. Not just COVID, but we've done four replacements uh, for vacancies in the legislature. I think it's four. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, you know, we've uh, done a whole lot of new programming for people. Uh, we've expanded the membership. I mean, all this. So we're going to continue doing that. We have a bunch of big events coming up uh, in, in the future there. Um, what other things I'm on the neighborhood commission. We, uh, that's, that's pretty quiet. That's, uh, been quiet so far, oh, yeah. more so or less. You used to be the chair, I used to be the chair. And now what are you, what uh, are you so I'm just a, a member. Um, I pass that along because one of the things that I, I really think is important is passing the baton, right? You can't mm. be uh, a leader at, at any one thing forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so after I think two or three, you know, terms or whatever is chair, 
um, passed along to the vice chair. And, you know, I, I think that's good. That's healthy, right? Who, who's the, who's uh, the chair Brian now? Cho. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. So that's Brian. And then, um, so let's see all the other things that I do in the community. Yeah. There's so many things. Too um, much. But I guess uh, this might be a good time to announce. So in 2022, I'm running for city council. You heard it here first. Uh-oh. Uh, James there it podcast. is. Boom. There it is. Talito Santos um, Tam. Which district? Uh, for, I guess, this town district. We're going through the redistricting process right now. That's which right. It's a little bit of a yeah. challenge. But, you know, the wherever the boundaries lie, we share all of the same issues here in this island. Yep. Uh, whether you live in here in Kaka'ako or we're sitting right now or in, you know, my parents' neighborhood in Laliha and Aleva Heights or in Kalihi or Moanalu or wherever else. I mean, a lot of the same issues are, are on people's minds. Mm-hmm. The cost of housing, the cost of living here. What is the city doing to improve that? Crime in our neighborhoods. You yeah. see the headlines every day. And you live in Chinatown. I mean, yeah. you definitely see that every day. I, was in, I went to dinner on uh, Saturday and in the parking lot in Chinatown. <laughs> Uh, I mean, th- there were like 20 cops. Yeah. Um, Chasey, they, they managed to chase some guy down and he's lying down in the parking lot. And, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, that's that's wild. People would be surprised with what's going on in, in Honolulu in general. Right. I, I mean, we have Hawaii Five O for a reason, but in Hawaii Five O, they always solve the crime <laughs> yeah. in 45 minutes and then it's done. Um, I guess in real life, we don't have that yeah. reality. Uh, uh, we don't have that luxury. Um, but yeah, so, you know, all these issues, uh, we need, you know, leadership, uh, practical leadership, people who have actually gotten things done. Um, and people will bring a new perspective, uh, to that office. And, and that's what I'm hoping to do. So you've heard it here first. That's right. Well, I appreciate um, you saying that. And, uh, so th- there's that, I mean, there's just so many things and I, I really enjoy, um, being kind of a connector in the community yeah. and, and being involved in lots of different things. I mean, it's, it's always exciting and there's something new and, um, like you, I would say I'm an extrovert, so it's been nice um, over the past few months as things have been reopening to mm-hmm. get back to events and in-person you know, meetups. And maybe with the variant, we've got to be a little bit more careful um, for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully once we get everyone vaccinated and get to a situation where we can be a lot more open and uh, you know, not have these uh, safety measures in place, then I think it'll be uh, really exciting. So yeah, yeah. So here's so. Um, oh, and don't forget about your sardines, by the way. Oh, that's right. But uh, if people wanted to uh, reach out to you in your capacity as as you, yeah. If you have an Instagram or a Facebook, or if you want to give any contact information for the Democratic Party, out. Sure. Um, my email for the Democratic Party is Tyler T Y L E R at HawaiiDemocrats.org. My personal email is Tyler DST at gmail.com. I'm not afraid to give that out because I feel like it's everywhere anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and careful. And I'm, um, you know, I, I pride myself on being pretty good at uh, replying to emails mm-hmm. and um, you know being responsive because you know as a community member um, and as uh, a leader in, in a number of ways in the community, you know that's what people would expect. And again, being an extrovert, I like talking to people yeah so and then what about the portuguese chamber is it a facebook page or um, a website? yeah we got a uh we got both uh i think it's portuguese chamber hawaii.org um or on facebook um and then we will be setting up our sister state website soon so that'll be something like hawaii-madera that'll be cool. com or something we'll figure that part out <laughs> awesome is there anything else that you uh no, I just no, want to thank not. you for having me on here. And hopefully, you know, we can get back uh, in, in a few months and chat again. Hopefully we'll have our, uh, you know, housing nonprofit set up. I mean, there's so many things. So we'll yeah, that'll be state. a good one. 
and uh, it'll be really neat. And uh, so I'm number ten on the podcast. Yeah, you're so number ten. We'll come back uh, later on. Maybe I'll be number hundred. <laughs> I hope you don't take that long. No, though, but okay. uh, well, cool, man. I appreciate your time, and um, I really. I'm fascinated with all the things that you you, you kind of like uh, described to me that I didn't know you were even doing. Yeah, especially the over sometimes I don't even so. know that I'm doing that. So, you know. <laughs> well, you you got to get more active on promoting yourself on yeah. Facebook for sure. But um, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you, and then uh, yeah, we'll do it again. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, thanks.